Feinbaum, author of Abandon the Stars. And today I'm here with David Hopin, author of The Orchard. I loved this book. It took me into another world. I think you're going to love it too. David, tell me, what is this book about? Hi, Rachel. Thanks for having me. Uh, the Orchard is a coming-of-age tale that reimagines uh, a very haunting and eerie tale from the Talmud in which four rabbis enter into what's called an orchard and leave irreversibly changed after coming face to face with God. Each one experiences a different fate. Uh, one is unable to withstand divinity and dies. One loses his faith. One goes mad and one leaves untouched. And so the orchard transposes that myth into contemporary times by following the story of an 18-year-old uh, high school student named Ari Eden who abruptly finds himself uprooted from a right-wing ultra-Orthodox community in Brooklyn and landing in a fast-paced Miami suburb where he falls into a group of defiant and um, magnetic friends who conduct these increasingly strange moral experiments. How much Talmud have you studied in your life? I've studied a, a good deal of Talmud. I um, attended yeshiva high school, uh, yeshiva high schools and yeshivas um, from the time I was young. And so I was learning Talmud from, I believe, second grade is when we first were introduced. I think I should probably also ask, what is the Talmud? The Talmud is a, a commentary on Jewish law. Uh, the beauty of the Talmud is that it is less about finding simple answers and more about the um, wonderful chaos of arriving at answers and thinking through problems and thinking about um, the ways in which what the law is reflects what we want human values to look like. It's definitely reflected in the book itself in this question of, you know, how, how far are you willing to push the law? What is the edge of the law? Um, how did you really think about putting that into your character, into Ari? Uh, well, I started writing this book when I was, I must have been 17 or 18. I was a senior in high school. Um, and I was exposed to all these Talmudic myths and uh, a double curriculum of Judaic and secular studies. And so what I set out to do was to write a story that can combine that world um, through the lens of some myth that would launch my readers into the sort of topics I wanted to explore. Um, I, so for me, this very bizarre um, and interesting tale posed the right questions I wanted to get into, questions about um, What's the relationship between being good and moral? What does it mean to have a religious and civic identity? I love it. I think you did it so well. And of course, you're in law school now. So is the plan to practice law? Or are you going to be writing more? Or how's it going to work? Yeah, so I'm in my first semester of law school, which means as we're conducting this interview, I am in my, um, my first stretch of final exams, which, is, which has been fun. Um, my plan is to do both. Uh, I've been enjoying the interdisciplinary nature of both aspects of my writings. Um, I found that my book has been very much enhanced by my studies in law. And uh, at the same time, I think my studies in law have been enhanced by being a fiction writer. I think it's, um, it's an enriched perspective to look at law from a humanistic point of view. Uh, and so I've been enjoying figuring out ways to combine both interests. I love that. So one of the things that I thought was so interesting is um, as a religious Jew, your main character has a whole set of religious laws that he's supposed to follow, right? Even things as basic as what foods he's allowed to eat or how or when, right? Um, and at the same time, he's sort of 
trying to picture, figure out where he fits into the world and which of those, um, you know, apply to where he wants to land. Um, and I love this idea of pushing boundaries because that's also sort of the heart of the Talmud itself, right? Is the conversation around what, how tight is your fence going to be, right? Um, so can you talk about how you think about pushing these kinds of boundaries, whether they're secular or religious? How do those come together? That's an excellent question. I would say that the book in many ways is about this question of figuring out which values speak to you and which values uh, do you inherit and follow for a lifetime without examining why those values uh, ought to be the way you build your life. And so I think there are several different strands of experimentations that are conducted in this book. Um, some characters think about um, think about moral independence as coming to your own conclusions without being constrained by any sort of structured or received institutional wisdom. And other characters find real beauty in ritual um, and daily practice. And so part of the book is figuring out what speaks to you. And I think these are the questions that um, become particularly more acute nowadays, especially with COVID and the American landscape, whether or not you're a person of faith. Um, it speaks to our continued desire to figure out how does my daily life look a bit more meaningful. I'm going to read one of my favorite quotes from the book because I just thought this passage was beautiful and so haunting and it came actually very early on um, and your character is just about to leave his home in Brooklyn and he says, leaving didn't make me sad. On the contrary, the exhilarating prospect of trading my dreary uneventful life for something new was at long last within reach. What was saddening was the realization that in time we stand in empty houses to learn we've never made a mark. Oh, that just was so good. Talk yeah. about that line. Thank you. I, I, that's one of my favorite lines in the book. Um, it speaks at a lot of the journeying that's going on. Um, it speaks at this fundamental feeling of yearning that people, especially at this age, feel, or people at all ages feel. Um, it speaks to the realization that there are certain moments in life where you are both equipped with an opportunity to think about how you want to redefine yourself. Ari is about to leave Brooklyn. He has a moment of reflection on this is how he will be remembered. Um, that, that desire to reconceive of himself has dangerous consequences, but it also has a lot of positive value in general to think about how do you want to leave a mark? And so that was something I was interested in pushing at in the book. I think all the characters grapple with that in different ways. Yeah, I just loved it. I mean, I've just thought about that one line so, so many times since I finished the book. So, um, so you ask some pretty big questions or your characters are asking some big, pretty big questions in this book, like, uh, does God exist? What is the meaning of death, right? Um, how did you wrestle with those and fit them into, I'm going to call them snippets, but small enough pieces to fit into a book as opposed to being a book in their own, you know, right? Right. Um, one of the interesting elements of writing the book the way I did, which is that I, I started the book, as I said, as a high school student and I completed the manuscript as a college student and was editing it while I was uh, doing my master's, is that I was writing this uh, in sync with my academic coursework, even though it was independent of it. And so a lot of the interesting topics that are tackled in the book are topics that I tackle in my academic work. Um, and so for me, it was a pleasure to be able to reimagine them through fiction, but also to 
approach them in, as you said, snippets. There are small seg seg uh, segments that are sprinkled in. Um, I think they're a bit more manageable in this way, but they're also perhaps more realistic because this is a time of life when students are first finding the ideas that they might fall in love with and that might haunt them for the rest of their life. And I tried to give an accurate depiction of how someone in that circumstance might first encounter those ideas and study them. That's great. All right, we're going to shift a little bit over to craft now, because um, I have some craft questions for you. Um, and I would love to ask about language, because of course you have English, but there's also Hebrew and Yiddish, and often you don't translate. The words just sit there on the page. Uh, what kind of discussions did you have about that with your editor? That's a good question. There was a, there was a small time period when the idea was floated of maybe doing a glossary, but that was quickly... Um, that was quickly shot down by everybody because part of what we were attempting to do here is build a world. Uh, I think part of the atmosphere of the book is that it pulls from several different languages, um, but I think it's all contextual. And I think that part of the fun readers have is immersing themselves entirely in a certain world. And so I think just in terms of craft in general, I, I think glossaries can be very useful in some circumstances and distracting in others. And so this was one scenario in which I, I think rightfully, I hope, um, I felt as if it was best to let the reader become embedded in the story. That's great. I can imagine you going back and forth on that, right? Like, do we Very translate briefly. it, leave it? You know, I can, I can see that happening. And some, of the, some of the best advice I should say that I received early on um, writing is that world building is world building insofar as it allows you to launch yourself into something else. And so, you know, if you're rooting your story in um, South Florida, modern Orthodox Judaism, or in some, you know, interstellar spaceship in another world, as long as you're using it to advance plot, then it works. And so that was my goal, even at the, even at the granular level of figuring out, you know, should language stand on its own here. That's great. Um, so what was the hardest part about getting this book published? The hardest part probably was the fact that I was always writing it on the side as a student um, on my own for the most part. And so it was such a thrill to have this as my passion project for a long time. Um, I had the wonderful opportunity my junior year uh, as an undergrad to work one-on-one -on -one with Susan Choi, who is supremely encouraging and is an amazing mentor. Um, and so working with Susan made me feel as if this was something I could take to the next level. Um, and so I was working on it with renewed enthusiasm, but always on the side in the front of my coursework. So just sticking it out through the long journey of doing my work and also writing the book probably was the most difficult, challenging, but rewarding. Amazing. So what kind of advice do you have for other debut authors or people who are in college and high school, you know, trying to do this too? Um, the first bit of advice is that it really is work, worth working relentlessly, even in those spare moments that you can piece together because realistically, you don't, you're not a full-time writer at that point and you have other things on your plate, but it's important to dream big and to maintain a certain level of commitment to the project. The second thing I would say, which is perhaps the most useful in my own experience is that oftentimes there's a tendency, I felt this a lot when I was first writing, well, I guess the bulk of the story is to perfect every page as you're writing it um, to write and then reshape and reshape. I think eventually the most efficient manner to get words on a page is to quote unquote brain dump and then go back and revise after. And so once it's on the page, it's, it's much more manageable. And I would say for young writers, um, 
consider that. <laughs> David, thank you so much for joining me today. I loved, loved the orchard. May you sell many, many copies. Thank you.